Hi, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, and welcome to the Passion Mama podcast. Each episode, I interview a guest about modern motherhood to address its challenges, but more importantly, to celebrate its opportunities. From prenatal experts to postnatal health specialists, nutritionists, mums, and mums to be, I ask them to share their insights and stories with us. Welcome to Passion Mama in Conversation. Welcome to another episode of Passion Mama in Conversation. This week, I'm joined by the founder of Anbreathe, Cleo Wood. Anbreathe is a wellbeing company that focuses on pre and postnatal and menopausal retreats, as well as offering nutrition and fitness programs. Cleo, hello, how are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really well, thank you. Good, good. It's my pleasure to have you on here. Um, we dive straight into these things um, right from the get-go. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, Anbreathe and your retreats and the, the offering that you, you guys provide? Yeah, sure. Um, so as you say, um, we're a wellbeing company. Um, I founded Anbreathe when I had my daughter nearly six years ago now because I found it was a really tough period in my life. Um, I kind of refer to it as a bit of a car crash, but it's probably quite harsh but I'm sure lots of new mums out there will know what I'm talking about. Um, I had a, a traumatic birth and then a postnatal depression and mild post-traumatic stress disorder um, and then I struggled to breastfeed and I just found like finding my new identity in motherhood really really hard and coupled with that I wasn't quite sure how to rest and rehabilitate my body and I found that a lot of the fitness information out there was really varied and not necessarily trustworthy um, for kind of postnatal women um, so that was when I came up with the idea of, of retreats because I was desperate to go on a fitness retreat, but uh, none of the ones that I looked at, you could bring your baby or your partner to. And also none of them were appropriate for a postnatal body anyway, just in terms of the kind of rest and recovery that it needs and the kind of proper fitness, focusing on form and functional fitness and so on. So that's when I came up with the first retreats and we've kind of gone from there really because um the menopause and parenthood are two other really big life stages, stages, sorry. Um, and lots of the things that you'll be thinking about in terms of physical and mental well-being during parenthood and during the menopause are the same, you know, not to mention all those hormones that are floating around. So that's where we've, um, that's where I've come from, really. That's incredible. And I think it is something that's super, super important. Um, I wonder what's your, is your background in fitness or women's health? Or was it just something that you just felt passionately about at that time? Or were you already in that sort of industry or field? Yeah, great question. So I, I, I don't have a background um, in personal training or anything like that. But I've always been really into keeping myself well um, and I think that's a really interesting journey for a lot of women as well given societal pressures around body image and so on and you know when you have a baby there's all this pressure to in inverted commas bounce back um, I hate that phrase but there we are um, and so it, it really came from something that I was passionate about and, and just couldn't find the answer to you know I think one of the things that they say is that uh, you know, the best ideas come from a need that you had. And um, hopefully uh, that's true of Anne Breathe as well. 
because it was something that I was desperate for but but just couldn't find um but we have an amazing 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 um expert team that I've gathered together and who work with me on the retreats um and that's personal trainers physiotherapists nutritionists psychotherapists happiness coaches and they all contribute to the way that we set the retreats up um and the kind of program and the content that we have on them so although I'm not kind of one of those experts. Like I, I've become very much an advocate um, through my passion and through kind of knowing and absorbing this expertise and running the retreats as well. That's brilliant. Okay. And so today we're going to be focused specifically on postnatal sex. Um, yeah. And that's something that um, you feel quite strongly about. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience and why you, why you feel so passionate about this topic? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I, I mean, it is something that I started to talk about because my own journey was so kind of long and painful at times. Um, I had, uh, an episiotomy, um, because I had von Tuss and then a forceps delivery. And so I was left with quite a lot of scarring, um, vaginal scarring, both from the episiotomy itself, um, but also, uh, like a lot of women, I actually had um, some internal grazing as well, which actually produces scars in itself in, on, in the internal vaginal wall. Um, coupled with that and my PTSD from the birth and my postnatal depression, my whole body just kind of started to tense up. Um, and you know, my shoulders were hunched and, you know, my glutes were tight and just, you know, I, I was so stressed and tense during that first year that added to the scarring and I actually had a hypertonic pelvic floor as well, which is a too tight pelvic floor. Yes, it exists. Um, it basically meant that penetrative sex was so painful um, and I just hadn't been prepared for how painful it would be or, or that that kind of pain would even be possible um we talk a lot or you know there are these horrific jokes around you know how you know having sex with a woman after she's given birth is like you know peering into a dark cave kind of thing um because you know your vagina is supposedly stretched beyond all belief and will never recover so i had been so obsessed with doing my pelvic floor lifts and not having this kind of flappy vagina um, that I'd gone too far the other way. And, you know, it just didn't even occur to me that having a hypertonic pelvic floor and, and, you know, having painful sex after birth rather than kind of no feeling during sex uh, at all was even a possibility. So after that, I kind of, you know, I, I referred myself to my GP um and went back a couple of times to kind of have investigative swabs and so on i then got referred to the hospital to see a gynecologist and from there for an internal ultrasound and none of these things were um you know giving me any answers because at this stage i didn't know what i've just told you about kind of the scarring and the, and the pelvic floor and so on people just thought it was an infection or that there was something really wrong um and so i kind of got past um 
from from post to post for a long time and it wasn't until I met um, Amanda who is actually now our resident uh, women's health physio and breathe um, Amanda Savage who is just amazing and life-changing <laughs> obviously I would say that but no she's genuinely amazing um, that I started to even discover some of the answers and some of the reasons behind you know my painful sex journey because it might sound like a really small thing to kind of for it to be painful but that pain was you know it was like shards of glass um inside me and so a the pain was really really bad and you 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 can't quite imagine it until you experience it and also you know sex is not just about procreating it's about bonding with your partner it's you know an intrinsic part of your relationship which anyway suffers after you know you've had a baby and you've become a new family unit so to not have that ability to be bond um was really really stressful as well and obviously impacts your self-esteem and your self-worth so yeah it was a really um tough period um and i just didn't know where to turn i didn't know why when I did find the answers, I didn't know why it had taken me so long and why people had not signposted me in the right direction. Yeah, gosh, that sounds like um, you had one hell of a journey, Cleo. And thank, you <laughs> for, thank you so much for sharing your being so You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> you know, as you know, this day and age, things that are really only ever shared about motherhood, and I do think things are changing, but things that only get shared, most things that get shared are really, really positive things. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just not how it is for a lot, a lot of women. So um, thank you for, for coming here and, and kind of sharing that. I mean, I'd never heard of that joke about the cavernous... Oh, God, don't. Vagina. I mean, it, I mean how horrendous. But no, it's, it's so true. And, and, you know, I think as women, we end up so worried that, you know, we're not going to be able to you know, pleasure our husbands in the same way, um, you know, which is, is part of it. But, you know, what about your own pleasure too? So I think a lot of those jokes, to be fair, are kind of male-dominated ones. Um, you know, Robbie Williams made this awful joke about um, how watching your wife give birth is like watching your favourite pub burn down or something hideous like that. Um, but, oh. you, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's not ideal, I think, is, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not. And these things should not, should not at all be allowed to be said <laughs> away with. Um, and I think, as you say, like, um, you know, I think you meant, I think you said it's, it's a small thing, but it, it, it's an important one. I actually, you know, I, I think it's a massive thing. You know, mm. intimacy, intimacy with your partner is so important, as you say, and that kind of trust. And it is supposed to be pleasurable as well. So I think, yes, I'm really, I'm really glad that we're talking about this. I'm really glad that you're you're, you're passionate about it and that you're willing to kind of be open with this and I do completely agree that um, I'm sorry it took you so long to find you know I can imagine what it, what it was like I feel like for myself running Passion Mama I'm, I'm very aware of what um, what could go what, what what goes brilliantly in motherhood and what may not go so brilliantly and I feel like obviously we've built this massive network of as you say women's health physios um health experts etc etc so I'd like to think now that if I were to have a, get to that stage and have a problem I'd know exactly where to go to but again I live in this bubble of passion mama world where I'm surrounded by these experts so actually they're not mainstream enough and I I, I've, the amount of women that I've helped kind of put in touch 
as you say, women's health physios, I think they are absolutely brilliant and almost pivotal to um, every woman's postnatal recovery. And I, and I, I strongly believe, and I, obviously I, I think the NHS is completely inundated as it is at the moment and they are, they are fabulous as they are, but I do think that there isn't enough with regards to that. And yeah, I think it should be mandatory almost that everyone sees a, a, a women's health physio with, you know, during those kind of six weeks before they go to their GP or with that GP at that checkup point. Yeah, no, I, I really agree, actually. And I think I was shocked that when I um, did find Amanda, who is a women's health physio and, and an amazing expert in her field and really well regarded, I... I was I was shocked that I hadn't at the very first time when I'd brought it up with my GP, you know, it, that it hadn't been mentioned to me. Um, I, you know, in France they get ten sessions of physiotherapy um, postnatally um, to help them rehabilitate and recover, um, and I believe in Germany there's a, a similar program as well of, of support. Um, and even if the GP wasn't able to refer me because you know there are obviously a lot of other women with kind of tears and prolapses and things like that who probably would have been higher up the referral list than me even just to to kind of mention the fact of a women's health physio and how he or she could help um and say you know you might want to do some research to kind of go and look for that person because I think this is probably a really good first step for you you know I, I had to I had to you know find that out after a year of searching and I'm someone who thinks of themselves even then I thought of myself as pretty well up on you know my own well-being and health and fitness so you know for, for people who are not um kind of in in the space as you say it's it's incredibly hard gosh in a year a year of, of of pain like that and also not knowing i think it's it's the work the worst part of, of, of things is kind of not knowing sometimes so yeah absolutely and i think you know it, it was a year of not knowing and then a further year and a half really of rehabilitation and kind of the journey of recovery so it was you know overall it was two years plus before my husband and i you know had pleasurable sex again that's a really long time <laughs> Yeah, that is a really, really long time. <laughs> but glad that, you know, you were able to find the support and the help that you needed. Yeah, yeah def definitely has a happy ending. And, and, that's, and that's what I want, you know, other people to have as well and, and to be able to help people. And that's what's really important to me. Good. So let's talk a little bit more about kind of just generally speaking and the kind of experience that you've had with, your, with the kind of women that come through uh your your retreats and things like that do you think it's normal i mean is it normal for women to feel slightly apprehensive or scared about having sex after a baby yeah um whilst you know most people will be fine um actually i do find a lot of people are worried they're nervous and a lot of that is because we're so secretive about the first time you have sex after after you've had a baby and even going for, going on from that you know we're all 
kind of wondering how many times people are having sex in a week, in a month, in a year. You know, we're not doing it enough. Oh, we're doing it too much. Oh, my husband wants it this much. That isn't normal, is it? Um, oh, I want it that much. You know, maybe I'm, you know, some kind of nymphomaniac. Like, it's all stuff that we don't really talk about enough. So, I mean, for me, I think it's really normal for people to be kind of a little bit apprehensive about it. Um, and I think, you know, the more people that I speak to, the, the, they all just kind of look at me and go, oh my gosh, I thought it was just me. So I can pretty much guarantee you that if you are feeling nervous about having sex for the first time after you've had a baby, you're not going to be the only one. Even if you're not talking about it in your NCT group um, WhatsApp, where you pretty much share everything, um, I guarantee you that other people will be feeling the same way. And, you know, you kind of get this picture perfect uh, image of other families um, with new babies on Instagram, on social, or just even in real life, you know, everyone feels like everyone else is nailing it and they're not and you know they're going to be having the same worries that you are I can almost guarantee it yeah that's really really interesting and, and I guess why and, you know as you say people there's some sort of secrecy around having sex for the first time after your baby but I mean I'd argue that there's just secrecy around talking with your girlfriends or friends about how many times you're having sex period yeah, regardless of whether yeah. a baby is involved or not yeah yeah. And I think that's really, it's something that we're trained to do. It's, there's something in there around kind of how secretive we are around our own body image and things like that as well. And kind of how we feel about ourselves at any period of time. Um, so it's all kind of all these different layers that add up to us being really nervous about that, you know, postnatal sex and, you know, it is completely normal. Um, and everyone has a really different experience. So yeah, just be reassured on that. <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. And, and it'd be interesting to maybe understand like why, what are some of the common reasons that um, women do feel scared? Is it, you know, worried about the pain or maybe just feeling pressure to please your partner? What, what do you think? Are those some of the common reasons why? Yeah, um, so I think those are two really um, good points. Um, so pain um, is one thing. If you have had a vaginal birth, even if that vaginal birth was very positive and loving and, 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 and affirming, um, and if you didn't tear, you know, it can still take you a little while to recover. Um, if you have had a traumatic vaginal birth, if there's been any intervention like an episiotomy or forceps, um, or if you've had a tear, you know, like a, a natural in inverted commas tear or even grazing vaginally, obviously all of that will have an impact on how much pain you might experience as well. If you're nervous about having sex again postnatally, you are likely to be inadvertently tensing so subconsciously your body is all of your muscles just become tighter and obviously your pelvic floor set of muscles is a really big part of your you know your core and a really big set of muscles and and so if you're tensing all over then you're likely to be tensing your pelvic floor as well which is making your vagina tighter and access um, to, for penetrative sex will be harder and so be more painful so it's a bit chicken and egg that you know you're 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 you have painful scar tissue anyway um because scar scar tissue 
uh, sorry, I should mention that. So scar tissue, whilst it's great and it's healing, even if it's healthy, it can be super sensitive. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a scar like on your arm or, or elsewhere outside on your body, but if you run a finger over it, it's likely to be really sensitive. So that scar tissue, imagine if that's inside your vagina or, or it's on your perineum as part of an episiotomy scar, um, it's also gonna be really sensitive. Um, and it's also raised usually. So it's not just kind of flat against the vaginal wall or anything like that, it's raised. So the pressure on it and therefore the, the amount of sensitivity that you'll feel will be raised as well. So, you know, it's, it's that it, in those cases, you know, it's likely that pain um, is going to be part of it. It doesn't have to be always the case. It's definitely something that can improve and, re and you can get find rehabilitation from. Um, the other thing, of course, is not having any sensation at all. So that's kind of the other end of the spectrum. Um, and that can be if, you're, if you have had bruising in your uh, pelvic floor and, and in your vagina um, from the birth, um, when your muscles have, have experienced a little bit of trauma, but there's no scarring. You know, when, when you have bruising, the, the tissue takes a little bit of time to recover. So it may be that you are not able to feel as much as you would be able to normally. Um, you know, we put pressure on ourselves to kind of please our other halves, even if they are not putting pressure on us at all. That was the case with me. My husband was like super understanding, but I was like, nope, this is the time I'm back to normal. We're going to have sex again. Um, and so that was a little bit uh, disappointing for both of us. Um, and, you know, didn't, didn't really help the kind of recovery process. Um, and it's worth mentioning as well that, you know, even if you have had an abdominal birth um, by cesarean section, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be feeling any more comfortable with the idea of, of having sex again postnatally. And that's completely normal too. Um, you know, you've still had a lot of pressure down on your pelvic floor. So, you know, it isn't as if you're, um, you know, you, you know, there may well be things that you, you can, need to get looked at or, or re rehabilitate um and so on so those are just a few of the things i guess that 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 might impact it um and i guess oh the last one is is lubrication um which i know you and i suggested that we would talk about in a minute anyway um if you are breastfeeding your natural lubrication is likely to be compromised um so you don't produce as much lubrication vaginally as you would have done previously um, this should um, usually return to normal uh, about two to three cycles menstrual cycles after you stop breastfeeding but that isn't necessarily the case so you know if you're coupling that with some of the kind of tenseness that you're feeling um, and you know any scarring and any bruising um, vaginally that's also going to cause some issues so my you know I always say lube is your friend it's not it's not a, a you know something to be wary of it's not something that is taboo lube uh, and organic lube which you can get these days guys um i always recommend yes organics they're amazing um lube is your friend um and it's just you know makes everything much more slippery and wet and enjoyable um and that's kind of what you need um at this stage if you need a bit of a helping hand as well 
that was really really wonderful like a kind of yeah whistle stop yeah no I love that I love that um so you yeah you touched on this is something that I actually only came across um when I was doing a bit of uh, research into the topic um, before, um having you on um because I wanted to talk about contraception so so yeah. According to the NHS website as of today, um, you can get pregnant as little as three weeks after the birth of your baby, even if you're breastfeeding and your periods, periods haven't started yet. Yeah. Um, and you're unlikely to have any periods if you breastfeed exclusively and your baby is under six months old. So because of this, some women use breastfeeding as a form of natural contraception. Yeah. Um, and this is called, and I'm going to probably get this wrong, lactational amenorrhea method or lactation. Yeah. <laughs> can, can you talk us? Can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, it's actually so. It, it's probably something that a lot of people are doing, kind of a little bit more subconsciously, rather than rather than intentionally, um, you know, going for the lamb method. Um, because we kind of think, oh, you know, we, the, the, the breastfeeding will stop ovulation. Um, and it does, it very much lowers your chances, your fertility in terms of, uh, ovulation It's kind of the body's natural defense against having babies too close together, but it's not guaranteed. Um, you know, you can ovulate very quickly after you've had a baby. It's rare, but it does happen. Um, and you also should bear in mind that you, even if you are going to be using this method, you still have to kind of avoid the peak days when you might be ovulating. Um, lamb is, I think, much more um, widespread as a uh, contraceptive method in the US than it is here. I could be wrong, but from the reading that I've done so far, um, that, that tends to be the case. Um, and Planned Parenthood, which is a US organization, um, suggests that it's about 2% of women who are using lamb um, as a contraceptive method who uh, get pregnant uh, again whilst using that method and nothing else. So, you know, it, 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 is, it is something that you can use. It's probably something to be mindful of because you need to kind of bear in mind lots of different factors as well. It also means that um, when they say breastfeeding exclusively, that tends to mean with only a four to six hour gap in between feeds. So if your baby is starting to sleep through the night, uh, if, which we're all looking forward to, let's face it, um, and you're not feeding so regularly, um, it, you're obviously going to have to bear in mind that you might need a, a different contraceptive um, rather than just relying exclusively on that. And, and as with all of these things, like it's not 100% because it's, you know, it's, it relies on you kind of being aware of your body and what you're doing. And when we are super sleep deprived and a little bit stressed postnatally that's not often the easiest thing to to keep track of so um so there's there's that method um obviously uh people can go back to the kind of normal um methods of contraception as well so pill coil um condoms um uh injections and implants um 
GPs, um, for my knowledge, tend to suggest ones that don't require you to think every day to remember to take a pill. So usually the, the pills are kind of out until you're kind of six months, a year into motherhood. Um, they tend to recommend um, condoms or an implant or an injection just so that it's there, you know, done and you don't have to think about it. Obviously, you know, the implant and injection are very much hormonally based um, and that can play havoc with our hormones, which are already a little bit out of whack. And, you know, so it's a very much a personal choice as to whether you want to, to kind of go with those or not. Um, and to be honest, you know, if you're not having that much sex, maybe condoms are the way to go. Um, they're, they're easy. Um, you know, you don't have to, to remember to take anything. You're not putting extra hormones into your body and you can get some really lovely um uh you know vegan ones these days and um lots of very there are a lot of really nice kind of feminist and female focused brands out there as well at the moment which is you know an added bonus i guess yeah absolutely um gosh it's just obvious. there's just so much to think about in those early <laughs> days um and this is just one of those things i guess but it's always good as you see to just kind of know the options and, and really kind of yeah. think about things and and take your time with it as you said with yeah. i think also with everything motherhood related obviously i don't have first-hand experience myself but from every every everyone that i've been speaking to and the experts that have kind of been working with us is that um don't put too much pressure on yourself for any yeah. um, and i actually um sorry to interrupt but i actually think that is such a you know big takeaway from any conversation you have about motherhood and particularly with about postnatal sex because so i actually and for most people they will be asked in their six-week checkup postnatally what contraception they want to be using now and it was quite a brisk interaction for me and my GP. And, uh, you know, he it felt a little bit pressured. Um, and, I'm, you know, that's just my GP. That won't be for everyone. But it definitely made me feel like, oh, gosh, everyone else must be having sex already. I should be having sex already then as well. Whereas actually, you know, everyone is different you shouldn't feel pressured to do it if you don't want to um definitely wait until you're ready just because someone is asking you about contraception doesn't mean you need to jump straight back into the sack and you know that sounds like a really obvious thing to say but when you're in that um you know doctor surgery you probably got a crying baby or a grizzling baby next to you as well. You're a bit worried because, you know, you don't know whether they're well, you're not sure what you're doing kind of in motherhood. You're, you know, as I say, you're, you're sleep deprived. You might have postnatal depression or baby blues. Like it, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so, and it's, and it's really important to remember that, you, you know, you can do you, you should only do you and, and make the decisions for you. Don't feel pressured into, you know sex again just because the gp is kind of hinting that everyone else is doing it <laughs> no that's really 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 good advice um and i think a really nice way to kind of um tail off is there anything that um Cleo, thank you so much for, for 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 speaking to me on this topic i know that it's it's one that a lot of people kind of shy away from but i do think as you say it's super important so i'm really glad to kind of put this out there um are there any, any, why don't you, you got some, I know you've got some Anne um, retreats coming up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those as well? Yeah, 
Thank you. Um, so our next retreats are actually in September. Um, the 5th to the 11th of September uh, is our next family and postnatal retreat. So um, uh, baby families of three with a baby and families of four with a baby and a toddler or, you know, two toddlers or just one, one, the two babies. Um, and we welcome everyone. Uh, and they are it's going to be amazing it's in france and we've got our fabulous team putting together the program as we speak um and we actually are offering and have been offering for a little while a 10 percent discount uh for snow travel um because we want to encourage uh less flying and also uh driving is a really lovely way to arrive you can do it at your own pace and i think uh, from what a lot of people have been telling me actually people are much more comfortable with the thought of driving or getting the train down to us in france uh from the uk anyway um so yeah we are really looking forward to that um and it would be really lovely if you wanted to join us you can find out more on the website which is and breathewellbeing.com uh, or you can go and follow me on Instagram, which is at and breathe wellbeing. Brilliant. And we will we will put those um, in the kind of notes and, and obviously on our Instagram when we post about this. Um, and even if it's not for yourself, I actually think, you know, if you know a couple um, who've just had a baby who, you know, it's, just, it's a really nice gift also for people um absolutely yeah we have a um gift fund actually so if you've got a group of you um who are putting together a baby shower gift or if it's kind of friends getting together with the parents of, of the couple of the parents to be um and you want to kind of gather together and, and get something really amazing for the new family then we have a, a gift fund that you can set up for them as well a bit like a you know like a gift card but bigger <laughs> Oh, that's a lovely idea. Um, and I'll be sure to, to kind of post about that. So, um, you know, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, best of luck with the retreat in September. And um, we will keep in touch and keep talking about these important topics. Amazing. Thanks for having me.